Hello and welcome to the Game Republic podcast, supported by Autodesk. I'm Jamie Sefton, welcome to this very first Game Republic podcast. I've decided to uh, interview Charles Cecil, MBE, uh, from Revolution Software, of course, co-founder, basically because uh, he's very much an advocate of the Yorkshire and Humber games industry. He often pops up at uh, many events uh, um, talking about how uh, good we are (laughs) up here. Uh, He's also um, one of the co-founders of Game Republic as well, which is, uh, if you don't know what it is, uh, we're a games network, professional games network for the north of England, and we also run a free network called Gamayo Game Makers Yorkshire, and we have numerous uh, games company members, and we also have many members from universities and colleges and also um, some fantastic affiliates including Autodesk who are kindly supporting this podcast as well. So yeah we had an interesting chat. I went through to York to his uh, very nice offices in York uh, above the shambles and uh, apart from some uh, annoying buskers who were outside and forcing us to (laughs) go into a different room we had a very nice chat. Uh, We chatted about all sorts of stuff from the setup of Revolution and of course the um, early games Broken Sword and uh, uh, Beneath the Steel Sky and also before that and all the kind of early stuff he did uh, in Hull for Arctic Computing but we also uh, very much talked about uh, the modern day games industry how much it's come on uh, in the last I think 10 years um, uh, especially because of the uh, rise of digital stores and the fact that um, developers such as Revolution can now publish their own games which has really make it made a huge difference um, to their business so I think we'll crack on with the podcast I'll appear again at the end just to kind of uh, give a you a bits of information and stuff about the next podcast Uh, but settle back enjoy this chat between myself and Charles Cecil MBE so Charles we're in York in the shambles in York we are, and yeah. it is rather noisy, so apologies about the sound quality. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, the busker was uh, doing his best to interrupt the podcast earlier on. He was so. indeed. Now, the point is that you have the benefit of not have, having heard Lady in Red for the <laughs> zillionth time, or, or indeed there's a busker that comes along a little later that is strangling a Paul McCartney song, I can't remember what it is. But but anyway, that's what ear, earphones are for. Exactly, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a Laurel and Hardy, isn't there, where they get some money... For busking, and he just says, "Can you just move on further down the street?" We're <laughs> getting the money. So, um, yeah, you're in York. So, I mean, uh, you're obviously not um, York born. So, how did you end up in York making games? Oh, well, uh, when I left school, which was in 1980, um, I was sponsored by Ford. Uh, mm. At that time, the car industry in the UK was just dire, dire. Yeah, yeah. And it's really funny looking now because I gather that in Sunderland, Nissan. Mm. more cars than the whole in that one part um, of Sunderland than the whole of Italy combined so you know, now it's extraordinary yeah. but uh, you know in the, in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s we, we, we're the world leaders yeah. 
And then in the 60s and 70s, it just went horribly wrong. So by, by the late 70s, the government decided that they need to do something about it. And they set up a number of um, engineering programs, and I was lucky enough to be part of that. Mm. And it meant that you got no summer holidays mm. at university, but I was sent for um, legal. We went to law school. We went to um, Manchester Business School to learn about economics. They uh, sent us to Chelmsford to learn how to work metal. I mean, it's just great. It was absolutely yeah. fantastic. And then they sent me off to Bordeaux. They sent me off to Bordeaux for, six, for, for, for three months during a wow. summer holiday. And I just drove down there, and it was just great. It was fantastic. But, but, but part of this, during part of this, um, I, I met somebody who had just started a games company. Um, he had disassembled the ROM for the ZX80. Right, yes, so I remember the ZX80. Yeah, absolutely. I think the screen flashed every time you pressed a key, I seem to remember. It, it did, because it couldn't process. The screen memory and the processing memory was the yeah. same. So right. what it would do is it would flash the screen off when it was computing, right. because it was sharing the same memory. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. Which made it pretty difficult to do any sort of game, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, he just started a company. We, we used to, because we were friends, we'd go and play Space Invaders in the evening, and, mm. and Galaxians, and... Uh, and then one day he said, you know, do you want to come and see what I'm doing up in Hull? And it was great. He was a bedroom coder, wow. uh, Richard Turner. Um, and his parents lived at 396 James Rocket Avenue in Hull. <laughs> and, and we drove up one weekend and he showed me, he, he and his partner, a guy called Chris Thornton, mm. um, had a TRS-80. Brilliant. So we, we played some of these games and the TRS-80 was felt like it was so much more advanced. Yeah, that was my first computer. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's, oh, uh, the Tandy TRS-80. Exactly. It was a great, yeah. great thing. It had a you, green screen, I think, I seem to remember, yeah. And you were having to import games from the US, though, because of course yeah, none absolutely. of them were, 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 yeah. were, were available here. And in those days, to get a computer, you have to have a transformer, wouldn't you? Mm, mm. Um, there was none of this sort of namby-pamby, um, just plug it in, yeah, exactly, in the world, and, yeah, and it'll, yeah. it'll adjust. So uh, we started playing some adventure games, um, Scott Adams's yeah. games, and um, Richard said, you, you could write an adventure game, couldn't you? And I said, well, I would have thought so. Well, well, with all my car training, of course. <laughs> exactly. Of course I can. And, and my, <laughs> my, 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 my O-level C in English. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I didn't even do history. <laughs> I didn't even do history for O-level. So I was doing maths and physics, and, yeah, and, yeah. and my A-levels were maths, physics, and economics. So... Very, very much scientific, scientific based, and so I, I went away. Um, I just watched Indiana Jones: Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, of course, the first game, Inca Curse, um, took a, a great deal of inspiration from going into uh, into a pyramid, an Inca pyramid, um, yeah. nicking yeah. the treasure and trying to get out before the the, 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 the stone rolled over. You, as far <laughs> as I remember, but but it was quite interesting because two things that came from that those text adventures, which was nineteen eighty one. Adventure B, a curse. The first was that um, many years later I met somebody, uh, he, he actually worked for me in, in Activision, and he played that game mm. and he described it and he said, God, I remember it so well, it was mm. so vividly. And the opening line was, You are in a jungle clearing. Mm. But what he told me about was the parrots squawking, the light through the dappled trees, <laughs> all of these things, yeah. none of which had been written down. And he thought I was a brilliant writer. <laughs> Because I'd actually created this imagery, which was just a few lines, which one I think shows the power of, Mm. you know, interactive narrative. But then, um, you know, the the other thing that was interesting was that you you collected treasure, and as you got deeper into the cave, 
Mm. So we assigned a greater value to that treasure. Mm. And you could pick up, I don't know, let's say you could pick up five pieces. And then when you came five steps away from the entrance, it triggered something. Maybe it was a stone, something mm. that you had to get out otherwise. And so we knew that the five most peak valuable pieces of treasure were this. Yeah. And we, we said, your aim is to get this number of points. Mm. But I had no idea that when people came and said, ha-ha, we've actually got many more points. And we went back to them and said, no, no, that's not possible. Because mm. what they realized is the trigger point was at this. Mm. So they stockpiled treasure on the other side of the trigger point, right. And they realized that they could get backwards and forwards twice. <laughs> So that instead right. of actually getting out with five bits of unit, uh, five units of treasure, they could get out with ten. And again, what they were doing is they were they were subverting the game yeah, to yeah. In, in a way that you know I guess it was the very first case of user generated content. Yeah, yeah, in a way. And but, so, um, so you obviously this was with Arctic. Computing. Yes, yes. And then you did you move to to York from from whole set re revolution? Well, when, when with Arctic, um, I chose to go to Manchester University. Mm. Um, one of the reasons was because um, Margaret Thatcher had come in and lover or hater she turned London hater right lover or hater <laughs> but what she done is she turned she turned London into a dreadful place full mm. of yuppies mm. who talked about money and status and yeah. lied basically it was a period where people just lied and, and it, it, it was rather it, like Nowadays, then. Well, I'd like to think it's a lot better now. Oh, good. It really was a lot worse. Mm. People would tell you... In fact, I've never said this, but I'm going to tell you something very personal now. Okay. Don't tell anybody else. I won't, no. Okay. So I, I went to a party, and there was this young woman who was a recruitment consultant. Mm. And in those days, everybody had their own company. They were recruitment mm. consultants. And she said to me, everybody is mo motivated only by money. And I said, well, actually, that's not true because mm. I'm not motivated only by money. And she said, no, 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 you're wrong. I was, well, I'm not wrong because it's me. How can you say I'm wrong? <laughs> yeah. And she said, no, no, no. And then she asked me how much money I earned. Mm -hmm. And I told her. And she looked at me and her lip curled and she said, and you're happy with that? And walked away. And it was at that point that I realised that London and the South East was a really unpleasant the, the attitudes of everybody was it that kind of loads of money yeah it was that like exact carrying exactly, field exactly. sort of like it's all about and, and those Porsche was it the 924 those really dreadful really dreadful mm. cheap Porsches that yeah. everybody bought because they wanted to be able to say they had Porsches and you know Richard's parents were lovely in, mm. in Hull yeah and very working class mm. very honest very proud of their community very proud of Hull and it was just so much more honest than what was going on so I, I actually decided to go to Manchester University and then um, worked out south for a bit and then chose to come up back up to Yorkshire because and, and when I first arrived I remember um, I joined a football team mm. and nobody knew or cared what everybody else did and then at Christmas we went out for a curry and they said so what do you do and I told them and you know one was a builder and somebody else was a mm. worked in this and, and you know everybody everybody was, was good and honest and, yeah, and, and, and it yeah. wasn't looking for status no and exactly. uh, and I just loved that sort of honesty which and London's great and, yeah. and now it's fantastic and I love going to London yeah it's great yeah. but Yorkshire is very much my home and I feel very yeah. at home in Yorkshire it is very friendly isn't it I think and uh, it's interesting you're saying that about not um, not being motivated by money because I think certainly in the games industry um, I remember when I, I first joined Game Republic took over Game Republic um, I got some advice from uh, one of the other um, folks that you know like games developers who 
said, you know, if you get into the games industry to to um, you know to, just to make money, you're in the wrong industry. Yeah. You know, just to get a Porsche. Because yeah. you, you, you're motivated by passion. It's your passion for yeah. games and what to make. Although 10, 15 years ago, people could become very rich mm. by basically screwing publishers. Right. So what, what, what they could do, or maybe 20 years ago, um, mm. is they could write a game in 3D. When 3D was a craze, mm. they would then pitch it to a publisher. Mm. The publisher would have to cancel, and then they'd take the same game and, and go around to all the multiple publishers. So the, right. there were a number of people who became very rich right. by right. doing that. Right. But but you're selling your soul. You are yeah. fundamentally being yeah. dishonest. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. as you say, you, you know, Revolution has earned hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. All the games have. Yeah. But we've seen precious, <laughs> precious little of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and also, as well as obviously co-founding Revolution, you uh, were instrumental in setting up Game Republic as well. So I am a huge fan of Game Republic, and you, Jamie, because it's just <laughs> great. Much. You know, as 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 I've told you a million times, but I shall tell you again on this podcast. You know, our our, our relationship with Apple, which is incredibly valuable. Mm. We, we we love Apple, but you know, the first time we met Dave Carroll mm. and Paul Burford, who was then working with him, was at a Game Republic mm. event in in Leeds, mm. and. You know, the opportunity to meet them in, 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 in that particular environment was fantastic. And, mm. and, and now you, you manage to attract the form, you know, very senior people, mm. and very mm. valuable people to meet. Um, so frankly, it's, you know, for, for, for the cost of Game Republic, we, mm. we, we, we get enormous benefits. And that's it's partly, it's because like, <laughs> partly because of the passion that you have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I I do because I, I love it as well. Sorry, this is the mutual appreciation. It is, podcast, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Just to be clear, <laughs> no, good, good. I just yeah, thought exactly. I just wanted to make sure. Well, yeah, might as well get some free advertising out of it, you know. Quite a small company. Yeah. Um, back in um, back in about two thousand and three, after Broken Sword three, which was a financial disaster. I mean, it made about. I think that's when I first met you. Was um, oh, was when it? I did an interview with you for I think it was PC Zone. Ah, and, and um, I think you were working on In Cold Blood at the time. That as well. was before. Just or was before, that just before? Just before. Yes. Yeah, yeah. In Cold Blood was a game that we wrote with Sony, right? Um, because. Broken Swords 1 and 2 have been published on PlayStation and done mm. incredibly well. Mm. Mm. Um, the publishers were determined that PlayStation was just for visceral 3D games, Yes. Yeah. number one. And number two, the other mantra was the PC is dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I heard that every week. I know, I know. It's, it's, it's laughable now. Yeah, yeah. And um, Martin Alper, who was the head of Virgin Interactive in the US, mm. once he took me out to lunch when he was telling me that they had no interest in, in commissioning Broken Sword 2. Um, and he gave me a lecture about the future, and he said, one of the reasons I make such good decisions is because I've never played a video game. <laughs> so, so, so a lot of these publishers yeah. had an utter contempt for yeah. the medium. What they wanted to do was write films, yeah. and they wanted to be in Southern California. Well, I think with the film you shoot Nintendo, he never played games either, did he? The original kind of boss of Nintendo. Really? He never played games either. He just, he had, a kind of, just had a knack for picking games. Just, well, that one looks better. Oh, well, that's what, that's what Martin Alper. Mm. Because he, yeah. he, he, he commissioned, um, I remember, Seventh Guest, mm. which at the time was a very u- interesting use of the CD. Which yeah. was a, I think they're re-releasing that. Quite yeah, similar. and it's a great little yeah. game. It's a great little game. 
Um, and it's really interesting, and it sold extremely well. So, you know, clearly there was something about yes, that. Yeah, yeah. But then he also did um, some terrible, terrible um, interactive movies. He, he, mm. he did the interactive movie with Tia Korea, um, mm. uh, The Diners Project. Right, okay. Um, which was... Uh, so, so the point is that if you have no instinct about what works well as a game, yeah. then you are going to be drawn into what everybody says because Hollywood's going, "Oh wow, this is amazing! Yeah. We're going to write interactive movies." We're going to get because that's what people star, want to do. We're get Mark exactly, Hamill. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, as 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 a as a chief executive, you, you, you need to have some sort of instinct about the product and your audience. Mm. Um, otherwise, you'll make terrible mistakes, and, mm. and a lot of them did. Yeah, yeah. I managed to totally avoid the question. What was the question? <laughs> well, it was it was just about revolution and the fact that um, you're saying that it was a small company and that um, you know, about project. Oh yes. So, so 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 what happened was that um, Broken Swords One and Two, uh, Virgin were absolutely adamant that they had no interest in publishing it on PlayStation because mm. it, it was not going to appeal to the audience. Um, the first one we managed to convince um, Sony to publish it. Mm. And it sold about five hundred thousand units. Um, <laughs> it's in those days the official PlayStation magazine had a circulation of six hundred thousand, mm. mm. which you know now twenty thousand is good. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I mean you know what was what was PC Zone circulation? Yeah, well PC Zone was you know we were on, I think when I joined it was on about fifty thousand, and that was you know which plus, pretty good. plus subscribers, so we had twenty about seventy thousand. Yeah, and it was on a steady decline ever since I joined. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do so, with you, John. Um, well, yeah, most of the magazines that I ever worked on have closed down. <laughs> so I'd like to think not, but maybe maybe it is, yeah. yeah. So but you imagine then, so when we got 9 out of 10 and big coverage from the official PlayStation magazine in the UK, Germany mm. and France, you know, you're talking about 1.5 million, and, and cover mounted as well. Yeah. You're talking about it going to 1.5 million people. Yeah. And a lot of people now who are fans of Broken Sword first played that demo on the PlayStation. Wow. So it was incredibly valuable for us and yeah. for the brand. And you know, Virgin, who we had a very good relationship, and many of whom are very talented and, and are great, mm. so I'm not in any way knocking them as individuals. No. But you know, they were absolutely determined that, that um, it wouldn't work. So they turned down PlayStation, Broken Sword on PlayStation, and then they turned down Broken Sword 2 on PlayStation. And the official PlayStation magazine ran a competition with their readers to vote for the best PlayStation game ever. And Broken Sword 2 came in at number 5. Wow. I know, I know. That's and Broken brilliant. Sword 1 came in at like number 10 or 11. And we were beating massive games like Resident Evil. So clearly we were, you know, I mean it wasn't a mainstream game. But what we were doing is we had a major part yeah. of a, a of a of a, purport, of a significant proportion I'm of the market. I'm surprised they didn't want that because like nowadays Companies like Nintendo, like uh, and so, and Sony as well, they like to look at a portfolio of games across their platform, don't they? They yeah. don't like sort of they were looking just at the major mm. the, the major genres. Mm. All they were interested in was the major genres, mm. Mm. and so that did very well for us. But then we kind of fell out. Then Sean, who was our big ally, and a number of others left, mm. and um, we we then moved on. And because of the relationship that we had with Sony, we wrote in Cold Blood and. Mm. A lot of people love that game. People still talk about it. A lot of people hated it. Mm. Um, it was a sort of mix between an adventure and an action game. Mm. Um, you know, I think the story and the adventure puzzles worked well. The the implementation of the of the action was a little bit crude. Mm. Um, and then um, it was very difficult because 
going back to adventures at that point would have been would have required us to do 3D mm. and you look at a game like Gabriel Knight 3 which was one of the first adventures in 3D yeah. and uh, I, mean, I admire Jane Jensen enormously and I think Gabriel Knight 1 and 2 are brilliant mm. I'm sure she would agree that Gabriel Knight 3 looked terrible it looked terrible because the whole point about an adventure game is it's all about the empathy that you have with the characters yeah. conveying the emotion the beauty of the scenes and 3D just was not up to it so at that point, that's one of the reasons why we went to In Cold Blood, mm. to create a game that had adventure feelings, but was more action-based. Mm. And so come uh, then 2000 and, uh, 2003, 2004, um, we then decided that actually the technology would now support an adventure mm. game. So mm. we pitched the HQ um, Broken Sword 3, which... I still think it looks really beautiful. Yeah, it's it's a nice kind of style, I think. Yeah. You know, for 3D, I think I remember doing a preview on it. I thought, oh, it actually, you know, it looks really good. And it still had it still had that DNA of Broken Sword, yeah. I think. You know, this kind of style, the colours, and the kind of you know the look of it. And and the game was very successful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sold well. It was well reviewed. And but as I say, um, we actually had to borrow. Well, well, THQ made a, mm. a, a profit of about five million dollars that didn't quite recoup because in those days developers never ever recouped. so it made five million quid five million dollars profit five million dollars and profit yes and it still didn't recoup no wow but we did you get dollars to... we'd been paid in dollars and the right. dollar plunged in development right. so we had to take a bank loan out of two hundred thousand oh, pounds so at the end of the project we found ourselves with a bank overdraft of two hundred thousand pounds and we almost recouped, but didn't quite. Did you, at that point, own the rights? Yes, we did. Yes, did you we did. always keep that? Yes, yes, we did. We did. So, so that's, that's, I mean, that has, you know, with, with, I mean, did you realise at the time that, that IP and that, that having well, the rights well, I, I remember, so important? I remember at Activision in, in the late, nine, uh, late mm. 80s, uh, talking to my boss, who was Rod Cousins, and asking about IP. Mm. And I remember the conversation very well. There was no sense that the IP was of any value. Mm. because if you owned the IP then you had to pay for the trademark or all mm. of these things all of the baggage that came with it and it was generally felt that as long as we'd signed up the sequel rights mm. because ultimately the truth is that IP is worth nothing mm. the value comes <clears throat> in the opportunity to exploit that IP yeah. Yeah. so if, if a developer keeps the IP but a publisher has the right to exploit it on as many formats and mm. in perpetuity then effectively the IP is no yeah. value whatsoever. But yeah. so I think that that was part of what was. But but so when we when we started, we the IP was not considered valuable. So we kept the IP, which yeah. was fairly common in those days. Yeah, yeah. So when we went in with THQ, we we made a whacking great loss, and they made a whacking great profit. And then Broken Sword Four, they came to us and said, mm. "Look, we made quite a lot of money on Broken Sword 3. and we said, "Yes, but." <laughs> Exactly, yeah, and yeah. We, we agreed new terms, but then the Americans sacked the UK team, which was Mike Gamble. Right, and Mike Gamble was a great advocate yeah. of revolution and was a good so friend. Was still epic, 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 still yeah, is. Yeah. Um, and you know, the Americans came in and for some reason had a very low opinion of developers and treated us with contempt right. and um, refused to honor the agreement. So we finished Broken Sword Four, and then. Then they came to us just before they were due to account and said, oh, by the way, there's a clause in the contract that says if the royalties are less than $1,000, then we don't need to account to you, which is for the long tail. 
we're going to choose to interpret this as until you recoup, we're not going to report you. Oh and, and then the guy who I won't mention whose name it was phoned us up and said oh could you do a, a DS version for us and I was like guys do you, do you, look there's a mismatch here <laughs> yeah, do, yeah. do you not quite understand why you, you virtually bankrupted us you refused <laughs> to account to us you're now asking us to do more I mean we need to talk about this okay. and, the, and the point is that it was so obvious that we had to take control of yeah. our own publishing yeah. Because we were at the, the will of, well, I, I shall leave, leave the noun. I shall leave the noun um, to, to people's yeah. imagination. And that's, that's, that's been the big change, hasn't it? That really? has been the big change. The, and, the, and the power has kind of shifted now to... Well, to well it, it all came from digital distribution. Yeah. So, so back in those days, you, everything had to go through retail. Mm. So you had two types of games. You had the AAA games that cost $100 million, and then you had the filler, which cost 5 $6 million. Yeah. And THQ were the absolute kings. Of oh the yeah, film. they had so much shove away. You know, yeah. like there were tie-ins for every TV and film kind of game, weren't they? And, and so they were. The, the, the retailers were taking that. So, so and that worked well. That was the mm. that was the the, 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 the the ecosystem that worked at the time. Yeah. And so by about two thousand and eight, revolution was was affected. Well, we were insolvent. Wow. So we should have closed the company down. And we were very close to doing so because it seemed like there was no wow. way out. So no when I out. when I when I met you when we when I took over the game public was it was it at that point that you had this kind of yeah it was it like are we going to continue or not yeah exactly well, I didn't because you never I never knew that at the time oh, but I was I, I was, mean you weren't sort of moping around no no but I was doing I was doing um, I was doing things like the Doctor Who project <laughs> yeah exactly which was great yeah and the Da Vinci Code project so yeah, so yeah. you know I had plenty to do but yeah. Revolution didn't really exist. We'd closed mm. down the office. Wow. Um, we had... Yeah, I, no, Revolution didn't really exist. Wow. So it, it existed. We never went bankrupt. Mm. It existed and we kept paying off our bank loans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and everything. But so our overheads still were zero. still paying off that. We were paying that. our bank loan, yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but there were no overheads apart from <clears throat> We'd closed mm. the studio down. Mm. We, we, a project that we were uh, invited <clears throat> to pitch for and did some work on uh, was cancelled mm. and so we just closed the, the office so we drifted for three or four mm. years mm. and that was a great opportunity to do other things mm. um, and then everything changed when we got a phone call from Paul Burford mm. from Apple and he said uh, you might you, you probably know the iPhone and he said yes he said I think your games would work really well I've missed out something mm. in between we um, somebody, some group of fans had started a petition to oh, have Broken really? Sword 1 ported onto <clears> DS. <throat> right. So we went to Ubisoft, mm. who I say were, were, were absolutely a great publisher to work mm. with. Mm. Quite tough, mm. but, but, but as straight as, as everything. Yeah, because when I joined Screen Yorkshire, that was being funded, yep. part funded. Yeah, we, we got a, a small loan. Yeah. Um, that, that was. Um, and well, we, 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 we part of that loan was to give some students the chance because they oh, come up with a really good right. demo. Right. And you mm. know, it's great to work with you know people who have just graduated. It, 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 mm. The idea of giving them the animation was very naive. It, yeah. it, 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 anyway, um, the, 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 the point being that we um, uh, Ubisoft then commissioned us to write a DS version mm. and then later they came and asked us to do the Wii version 
Now, that kept us going. That was great. I think we made a bit of profit, and that was great. Yeah. But what was particularly interesting was that we were then experimenting with a UI that involved a touchscreen. Right. So mm. when Paul Burford came mm. and said, you've done a DS version on the mm. touchscreen, we think this would work really well on iPhone, it was not an enormous leap no. to move from the DS UI to, to touchscreen mm. on an mm. iPhone. And the iPhone was clearly brilliant for a number of reasons. It was brilliant because you could have digital distribution, so you could yeah. bypass this, this blocker. I mean, I think, I think people forget how in the dark the whole mobile games industry was before oh, the App terrible. Store. I mean, terrible. I mean, I remember um, you know Nigel Little at Distinctive. Used to, I mean, he, he said to me once that um, he used to kind of almost not tell anybody that he used to work in mobile games because it had such a bad rep. And I remember trying to get a, a mobile game on my phone, and it was an absolute nightmare. You had to like get a voucher and then. Yeah. Try and download it, and it was WAP, and oh my god, it was an absolute nightmare. Wasn't it was, it? wasn't it? And it, it was, a, it was a joke. It was a joke. And, and you also had to port it onto a gazillion different formats. Oh yeah. So yeah. you'd write it on one, and then send it to India, yeah. and they would produce it on a zillion. Yeah. It was and, just and then ridiculous. no one would play them anyway because, as you say, it was so difficult. To I mean, Apple just came along and just went right. This is how you do it. And thank, thank God they did. Well, they made, they made, you know, just made such an impact with that app store. Absolutely. Now. Part of it was the brilliance of Steve Jobs and part of it was the serendipity of a number of things coming together. Mm. So the App Store had been in existence for some time. So they'd already got the idea of being able to download music. Mm. And they'd got that. As you know, Steve Jobs thought that games were going to be a tiny part of the App Store mm. and irrelevant. So he was not in any way supportive. Mm. So they had the infrastructure. Mm. But their genius was to say, well, we're not going to work directly with publishers. We don't care how we get our games we're going to pay everybody 70%. Mm, mm. So under retail, effectively, if you took off the cost of goods, which you did, but, <laughs> but if a game costs £20, you're down to, mm. say, £14. Mm. So you'd be paid 20% of that, mm, mm. Um, which uh, is, is £2.80. £2.80, yeah. Um, so £2.80 as, as a percentage of, mm. of the tw- original £20 is like seven eight percent. Yeah, yeah. So you were effectively getting seven or eight percent of the retail price, against which the publisher would then deduct. Which is why we never earned any royalties. Yeah. Against yeah. which your seven percent, against which you would deduct all the development and elements of the translation and uh, the localization and elements of the QA, because what the de- what the publisher would say is we're going to charge mm. all the production, mm. and and it's like well, it's kind of like record. Companies, isn't well, it? it is, but twenty like percent for production, eighty percent for all the rest. Mm. Yeah, but eighty percent mm. for all the rest. Well, we've got a job to do. <clears throat> yes, but 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 the production is costing eighty percent, and what your it, it made no sense yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. So we we moved from a, um, a, a situation where we were earning effectively seven percent to seventy percent, and that is now the standard. That's the industry standard. So it absolutely blew out of the water, mm, mm. The, the old model, which was just shit. Yeah. It was shit. And developers were, were, were never earning any royalties. No, no. Um, publishers were getting richer and richer and richer and going and, you know, to their houses in Spain, uh, living you know, <laughs> by, by looking over the, 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 the Mediterranean. And, and, and developers were, were insolvent because it was, a, it was an impossible yeah. um, and that's, model. And that's changed... Completely now, because you've got you know a lot of those mid middling kind of publishers like THQ kind of 
went. Yeah, they, they were bankrupt within four years. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was because that middle ground just fell away. Partly also because they had an utter contempt for their developers. Yes, I think so. So, yeah. so, so no developers, once they didn't have to work for companies like THQ, they wouldn't do. No, exactly. I mean, we, we, we worked with Sony and they were a pleasure to yeah, work with. Exactly. Well, I think, I think, you know, from, from just personally dealing with the platform holders, it's, it, it's a pleasure. They're, they're, they're great. Yeah. They, they know as well that they, you know, they, they want great games yeah. on their platform. So, you know, they, they meet developers and they always give everyone, you know, time There's also a mindset that they are going to account honestly. So yes. If, if yeah, they earn yeah. a profit, then they've made a profit, so they're going to pay a yeah, part things of that are a lot more... Um, Whereas a lot of the, particularly those big American publishers that we, mm. we were involved in, um, BAM, you know, it was all about, we are going to do everything that we can to avoid paying any royalties to mm. our developers. Mm. Why should we, was their view. So um, can you can you talk about any of your current projects? Are so you... Jamie, I, I've managed. You've asked me this now. I, I know times, exactly. And I've always it. offered. I've I've already you, answered you've, it. In you're, a different you're like way. a politician to Ex- ask you about so your position. Steady on, on. Position on Brexit. Steady on. <laughs> Do you know? Are we in, are some, we in a, <laughs> a customs union or not? I, I've heard some pretty offensive things being thrown at me, but calling me a politician. You know, <laughs> Um, so, yeah, we're, we're in a fantastic position. We're a very small team, actually. Um, we are about five people mm. in, in the office itself, in our little office in the shambles. Um, and then we have a number of freelance people working from, um, from home offices. Um, we have somebody in Rome. We have somebody in, in the Netherlands. It's very, you were saying earlier, it's a very European. Very European. Team. We are 50% European, um, which is fantastic. And, great. you know, uh, I mean, really... The, the I feel quite cross about Brexit. You know, I the think whole that was European Commission. Well, so so tricky. I think about you know the, the whole referendum was. We were kind of going, yeah, the EU. because yes. you know, I mean, I wasn't one hundred percent behind the EU. I just thought it felt it was like the best option that we've got. It is because because of our and friends, and our yeah, friends in exactly. Europe. I think I think the worst thing for me is is the the image of of the UK is being damaged. By this view that we're all kind of yeah inward looking, indeed. Except that, racist. except that, except that, when we <clears throat> advertised for a producer recently, mm. the majority of the applicants came from outside the UK. I know that's and, and the majority of that's, those that's were really European. well. That's really good. And, that's really good. And what people and when I ask our, our European friends about this, they say, "Well, if you're young, you you can always go home. <laughs> you can always go home. So give it a go." Mm. And mm. You know, I'm very proud that people still see the UK as an attractive place to And hopefully, yeah. I mean, the games industry is a very welcoming, open yeah. industry, isn't it? So, it is, yeah. I mean, we've, all, you know, we've always been accepting people from, from wherever they are. So I think that's a, that's a good message, I think, that, that, that people, when you're recruiting, that people from Europe and beyond are still interested in coming to the UK. Um, so I'm going to ask you again, Charles. <laughs> I think is this the fourth time... <laughs> Yeah. Okay, uh, so so um, I, I'm really sorry to be a bit wussy about this, but um, we are in this extraordinary position where uh, we are both writing. This is a really wussy reply, but we are writing um, a new adventure uh, 
game, which is really innovative, which is very much looking forward mm. as well as looking back. Great. Um, our very first game was called The Temptress, which had a, mm. um, a system called Virtual Theatre, which was characters walking around, mm. talking to each other. And people were really excited about it at the mm. time. Mm. In truth, we never really took it anywhere. Beneath the Steel Sky had a couple of characters that walked around and did that. Yeah. And then Broken Sword was very much mainstream in mm. the way the adventure mm. worked. Um, so what we, we've had the opportunity to do, because we could, we could sit and we could do prototypes, and mm. we produced a prototype which we finished about six months ago, um, which was, was, was all about characters walking around and then setting up world, the player can control world through the way they interact with the world, mm. and the game characters will respond. Mm. So you could do 20 things in the world, and each of those characters will respond in a different way. So what you do is you have a sort of emergent gameplay within an adventure genre, Mm. very much within the adventure genre, where characters are doing interesting things within the world Mm. and responding. And and because you can subvert the world, interesting things are happening within the world itself. Mm. So this is a super ambitious project. This is really going back to our roots Mm. of innovating in this this sphere. Mm. And... um, I'm really excited by that. Mm. We're going to announce it later this year. Oh, great. Um, okay. We don't announce it too soon because, uh, I mean, there is the ideal time to, to, to build yes. up momentum. Yeah. Um, and we, we, we also have the opportunity to do more formats um, for Broken Sword 5. Each time we do a new format, we add extra features. So there isn't mm. the sense it's just been ported across, mm. uh, enhance the game. I mean, I, I don't know, but, you know, like, obviously everyone, everyone's talking about the Switch at the moment because it's such an amazing console and doing well for indies and things. So, you know, I imagine that you've got plans. We may future. well do. <laughs> we may well do. be very coy, but, you know... But the Switch is terrific. It, it is a great console. And, and you yeah. know, people were writing Nintendo off. I mean, again... How silly. I've been a journalist for, you know, I've been in this industry for nearly 20 years, and it's like the one thing you don't do is write off Nintendo. It's like... Or, or, or it's PC's dead. Well, it's a cliche, isn't it? Yeah. PC's dead. You know, write off Nintendo. Write off Nintendo. And, and we love Nintendo, and they're great. I mean, uh, and they produce really cute little devices that... Yeah. Or, 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 but it's, it's just fun. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and then um, we have the opportunity, potentially, and I don't want to talk about this because we've, you know, people have been asking me to talk about it, but mm. the, what's going on in television and film is so interesting. Mm. So, you know, you look at Netflix, mm. you look at Amazon, you look now at Apple. Yeah. Um, and you've got these disruptors coming in and having a profound effect. Mm. And so, you know, there are opportunities for game developers who own the IPs to explore opportunities to, mm. you know, maybe work in conjunction. So that's something that we're well, you've had, you know, like uh, Walking Dead and, you know, things already happening. I'm just yeah, really but that came from comics. Right. So, so to come from video games mm. into telly has mm. not really been done all that much, I don't think. It's probably in the process of doing it. Mm. Um, you know, zillions of blooming Avenger films. I mean, they're going to run out of Avenger. <laughs> surely to God, the, the appetite for Avenger films is going to yeah, come to an end I'm, fairly I'm soon. Sure. But, I mean, that's, this is what's interesting, isn't it? Me and my, my wife talk about this, actually, is that um, you know, much of the innovation in drama and, 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 and that sort of entertainment is coming through TV. Yeah. Netflix doing some incredible yeah. documentaries and some series and you know, HBO and those sort of you know, Amazon as well, doing some brilliant programs. Yeah. And that's where, 
and the BBC as well, and, and ITV doing some fantastic dramas. So yeah. that's where a lot of the innovation. Well, HBO really kind of spearheaded it, didn't yes. it? Yes. Um, yeah. Through the opportunity with Netflix, yeah, to to, to go. So so Breaking Bad really oh, yeah. changed everything. Yeah. yeah, and Game of Thrones obviously, and then well. Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but then this year you have films. I don't know if you if you saw Okja, no. which is a really cute little film about genetically modified pigs. And a girl, you know, basically having one as a pet. Um, the interesting thing, of course, is the cam. I don't know if you know, but mm. it's the, 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 the person who's running it, Thierry, somebody or other, has banned any films that don't have a theatrical release. In oh, other words, yeah, right. what he's done is he's excluded right, Amazon Netflix, and Netflix. So, right. And that is such a ludicrous thing to do because it's anachronistic. Is that, is that, I mean, we love the whole red carpet is it No, it's, it's because a lot of distributors were sitting on his panel and the distributors right. hate the fact. I mean, the French have very archaic laws. You have to wait 36 months between a theatrical release before mm. you can put something on, on television. Mm. So none of it works in France and the distributors hate Netflix, of course, because mm. it's... Um, it bypasses distribution. Yes. Yeah. Theatrical distribution. So it's all about vested interests. But what's interesting is, of course, the whole red carpet thing is wonderful and all mm. the actors and the actresses turning up and looking beautiful. Um, but by banning Netflix, what you're effectively doing is highlight, highlighting how anachronistic the whole <laughs> festival system is in that regard. Yeah. Because... Yeah. Ultimately, you know, these are they're producing fantastic films, mm. and, and and by banning them because they're not going to have a theatrical release, I think it's sort of hastening your own demise. Yeah, um, interesting to see so it will be interesting to see what happens. Mm. But I think it gives great because before you had this little club where a few mm. directors um, would work with their friends and mm. they would produce very very uh, films. Mm. The, the bigger ones um, were, were very obvious. I think mm. there's a. The, you know, there's been some fantastic smaller films. I was going to say, like British films, actually. British films. There have been some really great I, I loved um, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, mm, you know, mm, which was yeah. just a sweet little film that came yeah. from nowhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so I think that, that like, like games, mm. um, and I'm not sure if it got theatrical release, it might have done, mm. very limited mm. distribution, but, you know, like, like games, you know, digital distribution and, and disruptive forces allow... Very innovative films with which is which are low budget to price, yes, yeah, and that's yeah. great to see. It is good, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so you're quite kind of positive then about very positive. The yeah, we're in a great position. Of, yeah, we have a, a wonderful team. We balance freelance with you know full time. Mm. Um, we keep our overheads low. We have to mm. because um, we, we 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 scale up and down, um, and it works for the people that we work with. And yeah. I, I hope. When, if, if I'm lucky enough to be invited back onto your podcast in a year's time, sure. that yeah. we will have, ha you know, we will have a lot of things that we will have announced, mm. and um, you know, let, long may it last. Yeah, and you're going to stick in Yorkshire, not going to oh, head, yes. head off back down to London or anything? No, 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 no. Very much. Not. I, 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 I do love the fact that you can get on a train and be in London in an hour, three quarters to two hours, yeah, yeah. and that you can then walk into Soho in half an hour. So. I, I live about a 15 minute walk from the train station mm. which is fantastic because it means that if you give 20 minutes you know you can walk leisurely and you'll have plenty <laughs> yeah. of time yeah. so okay. you know, 20 minutes an hour and three quarters and then 25 minutes means you know in two and a half hours you mm. can leave the house and arrive at a meeting mm. people commute for two and a half hours across London 
yeah, um, yeah. And, and whereas they have a miserable crowded journey we, we can sit at a table and do work uh, you can you can walk out of your offices here and walk into the shambles and yeah, yeah. it's just like uh, I think that's it isn't it living up here the, the standard of living is just really good isn't yeah, it it's it just a, it's a nice place it is kind of live it and is. work and but but um, a, a writer called Will Hutton wrote mm. a book in called the state of us mm. and he talked about um, megalopolises or some term like that mm. he used San Francisco as an example and he said the reason that places like this are so successful is for three reasons one is people want to live there yes two you have great universities providing graduates mm. that of a, of a high caliber and three you have great transport links mm. and he actually singled out York because mm. it's got the first two it's mm. got a great place for people to live yeah uh, great universities yeah. and you know we've taken on recently two graduates right. from interactive media well, and they're terrific University of York and York St John University absolutely. are yeah, yes, getting yes. public as well yeah, yes and, absolutely you know, and they, I think that, you know, they're benefiting from yeah. and it's a symbiotic relationship industry. we yeah. benefit from them exactly. they benefit from us and, yeah. and you know, it works both ways yeah. and as far as transport links are concerned um, as I say very quick to get to, to, to London and now we have a direct train to mm. Manchester Airport and it takes an hour and a half about three quarters um, very regular travels, yeah. it goes through the night. So, so you're quite proud of the northern poor house. I mean, the northern powerhouse. Don't get me started. <laughs> Don't get me started. infrastructure is about seven times higher mm. in London and the South East than it is in the North of England. Mm. Do you believe the Northern Port, uh, the Northern Powerhouse has any credibility whatsoever? Um, not at the moment, no I don't. I don't, no. Because the government, it's all very well, you know, having the great exhibition of the North and all mm. of these things, mm. but ultimately, you know, if the French were doing it, mm. They would be pouring money into. I mean, they're, they're little, you know, bits and bobs, aren't they? Oh, there are little bits and bobs. You know, but there always were little bits and bobs. But, but that's what I mean. They're, was, they're, was, they're, was they're, like, they're little bits here, and that's like, oh, we'll better give some to the north. Yeah. You know, rather than saying, right, we need to strategically spend exactly, you know, a, a ton of money to really get this economy going in the north. Well, when they when they when they cancel the electrification between oh, Leeds I mean, and yeah. and and, um, yeah. Leeds and and I mean that's just a prime Manchester. Example. It yeah. was. You're telling us to believe in the Northern Powerhouse, yeah, and you're not going to that, electrify. That, that was for me when the project was, you know, it, it sort of showed its true colours. But, but Jamie, there is another side, and the problem is that if the North had all the investment in, then people would come here from the South, and as it is, they stay down <laughs> south. Yeah, you so, so there is that. Well, yeah, I and, and, and I went to a dinner party in Clapham and was talking <laughs> to some guy. And he said, uh, of course, all you Northerners have Southern envy. I said, or London envy, I can't remember what he said. Mm -hmm. Thank you, pardon. He went, well, deep down, you're all envious of us because we're richer than you. <laughs> it's like loads of money. Uh, and and, I, and I, I sort of smiled to myself and said, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, I love you know I love London. I love, I love Brighton as well. It's a cool Brighton's place. Wonderful. You know, Bristol's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm completely. You know, I, I love the north, but I, you know, there are some fantastic other cities, regions of the UK. Yeah, yeah. I was brought up in London. Yeah. I was born and brought up in London. I, I love, love London. You know, and I love lived in Crouch End. I used to love it. Lived in there. It's great. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's great. And, and it was north North London, of course. You know, so. Yeah, North London. I'm a little bit dubious about. <laughs> Yeah, this is it. You see, you're getting to the north-south divide there as well, isn't it? <laughs> Great. Well, I think we'd better leave it there, Charles, because we've. I think we've. Um, yeah, I, I think, think we've, solved, we've solved everything. I think we've solved, we've solved everything. I mean, yeah. the, the disadvantage, of course, of, of of living in this part is that you know York City and Leeds United. Are oh, really? Yeah. I mean, really. I really, really don't want to get into a conversation about football. <laughs> I think that's when, you know. But was, I, saw, I saw a tweet today that said the top five teams in the Premiership, uh, the cities all voted to remain, and the bottom five teams all voted to leave from cities that leave. That leave. So maybe that's how we should sort, sort it out in the future. Yeah, that sounds like a great... On that, on that note, Jamie, I would, I would totally agree. <laughs> great. Thanks very much, Charles. Pleasure. That's it for this uh, Game Republic podcast, the very first podcast with uh, Charles Cecil. I thought it was really interesting that Charles mentioned that um, Revolution basically wasn't doing anything in 2008. You know, it was nearly out of business and uh, it really has been turned around by the App Store and digital publishing, which I think, again, reiterates how important it is to to try and hold on to your IP as well, which has been... um, absolutely fantastic for for revolution and uh, i'm really interested to hear what they come up with next so that's it for this podcast um you can follow us on twitter at game republic the website is gamerepublic.net if you want to find out more information about the network and how you can join and get involved and come to our events we'll have another podcast in the next few months with uh, another developer Send in your suggestions too. Um, please do sort of tweet us uh, at Game Republic, or uh, there's a contact form on the website as well. Thanks to Autodesk for supporting the network and this podcast. Autodesk.co.uk. You can visit the website there for more info on their fantastic software and tools for games such as 3ds Max and uh, Maya LT. That's it. Thank you. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers.